Welcome back to the High Tide. Grant Boyden and Kieran Ricky with you this morning. Alan Blake away on the sick list. And it's a shame that Blakey's away because he gave me so much curry when I told him that I rode out to my sailing boat, which was oh, at least 10 kilometres, was more like 500 metres, but I'll go with 10 kilometres. I came back as sore as. Well, Dominic uh, Genoa, who's been a good friend of the High Tide program, has set up an interview with us with somebody who's rode a little bit further than 500 metres. In fact, Michelle Lee has just completed a row from Mexico to Australia. Five hurricanes, four cyclones, nine days locked in what they call a cabin. But that's a bit like a real estate agent saying, you know, you've got uh, beautiful ocean views if you stand on top of the roof on top of a 14-foot ladder with a pair of binoculars because it wasn't a very big cabin. And she joins us online to talk about this adventure. Michelle, thank you very much for your time so early on a Saturday morning. Thanks, Grant. It's a pleasure. Tell me, (laughs) are you sane (laughs) to start with? (laughs) Well, put it this way, I'm not certified crazy, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good start. Now, this is not your, uh, we must point out, they call this extreme rowing, and this is not your first adventure. So just give us a little bit of a brief on how all this rowing came about and why you elected to go on such a, a massive journey. Um, I always issue a warning, and that is be careful what you read. So my inspiration actually came from a book called Rowing the Atlantic, and uh, it was just something that plagued me so consistently and persistently for two whole years that I eventually sat down and said, oh, God, if I don't do this, I'm going to die wondering. And I was like, what? You can't do that. You know, you're you're fit, you're healthy, you're well, you're able, like don't live with a regret. So it it literally came from, uh, you know, reading a book and um, I was not a rower, not elite, not an athlete. Uh, I, I had never rowed in my life. So, you know, the, the journey began with building a boat because there were none for sale in Australia. So uh, we built the boat. And then uh, when I launched that in the April of 2017 for the Atlantic row, that was actually the first time I've ever put an oar in water. Oh, wow. That is crazy. There's so many, Doing the research to have a chat with you, there's so many things that pop up. I mean, let's start with your boat. It's a 7.7 metre, uh, 2 metre wide uh, carbon fibre. Is it a wood veil? Yeah, her design is uh, the Woodvale, which is the original um, class of uh, ocean rowing vessel. Uh, now there are a lot faster designs and that's, you know, evolution, isn't it? Uh, everything gets faster and sleeker and, you know, so, yeah, mine's the original uh, classic, you know, <laughs> and um, she's she's slower than the, the later designs, of course. But, um, yeah, I love my boat, got to know her very intimately through the uh, building process and, uh she has all the mod cons on board that, you know, a ship has. She's got the AIS, GPS, uh, water maker, there's batteries, solar panels, autopilot. I had a four-man life raft and, you know, all the safety gear and kit that uh, is on a on a normal vessel. Yeah, I was blown away. The, the, I, I realised you'd have a chart plotter. I knew you'd have solar and all, but the autopilot blew me away. And, and not being a rower myself, I was like, well, what do you need a – what do you need an auto tiller for? What's that all about? Uh, so um, this is one of the challenges of uh, ocean rowing is all of the equipment has to be adapted from, you know, um, sailing vessels and power vessels. So that was a, a um, huge uh, head 
head uh, challenge. I know where you're going with it. <laughs> dining, yeah. dining and fitting that. So uh, it just is so that you can, um, particularly at night when you're drifting and if you've got good following swell and wind, while you've got that great motion, uh, just to keep your rudder uh, held on a, a rough bearing. So, you know, and then even when you're rowing and you're providing, providing the propulsion and you've got a little bit of swell or current with you, it's just lovely to be able to zone out knowing that um, you're not, you don't have to foot steer because when you're foot steering, there's no landmarks out there. So you literally yeah. have to watch the compass, um, which, you know, when you, you want to just shut your eyes and zone out and just row, uh, you can't do that. So that was the beauty of having the autopilot. You can just go completely brain dead <laughs> and just provide propulsion. meditating. What the the thing that blew, blows me away? Like I've seen people do it in in power boats, and and they say it's a challenge. And a, a lot of the people I watch have done, and people I know have done it in sailboats, and I know it's a challenge in a sailboat. But how do you how do you sleep? How do you have downtime when you're the only horsepower on the boat? Well, that's where you really have to learn acceptance and uh, surrender to what is. So whatever Mother Nature is dishing out to you or the currents, you just have to go, oh, well, I might have to mop up some mess tomorrow, you know, when I get back on the oars. I might have to re-row some ground that we drifted backwards or, you know, uh, quite often I was getting pushed north and east. I wanted to go south and west. So um, it's just one of those things. You've got to accept that before you even start. At the start line, you got to know that you're going to be pushed around in circles that you don't even want to go and um, you got to be cool with it. you just got to go with the flow, literally. And um, it, it's, you know, one of those lessons that you sort of, if you haven't learnt it at the beginning, you certainly have by the end. And I know that you're big on releasing yourself to vulnerability. I suppose this is probably the most vulnerable thing you can do. It's only you, your wits and your machinery at your disposal. Yeah, and, you know, like your level of vulnerability goes up uh, when you sort of start feeling a bit off or if you think, oh, is that a slight toothache or, oh, um, you know, rowing at night, I felt so vulnerable, so vulnerable that I just couldn't do it. Mentally, I just couldn't get myself out there to actually row at night. Um, so, yeah, your, your levels of vulnerability, it's it sort of uh, is in peaks and, and troughs and, you know, it's a bit of a roller coaster. Um, you know, they say when, you know, the sun's out and, and everything's going your way, it's beautiful, yeah. but yeah. it's not always rainbows and butterflies out there. So it's, you know, one of those mind control sort of um, uh, games that you've got to play throughout. It changes, you know, I was out there for 240 days. So I sort of mastered it um, by the end of it, I think. And um, I was getting better and better at the challenges that, you know, Mother Nature throws at you. You know, you sort of become a little bit desensitised the more you're exposed to it. Well, you know, the, the funny thing is that, like, so many uh, people that I know that have sailed across it and they get into some rough conditions and the rough conditions aren't like, you know, uh, coastal storms that move across that last an hour. These things last days. And I've seen really good sailors that really know their craft. By about day three of being battered and knocked about by the wind, they ha- their morale is just so low. You were copying five hurricanes, as mentioned in the intro, four cyclones along the way. I mean, nine days locked in your cabin and not being able to come out, 
mentally, like physically, obviously, it's 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 a big deal because you're rowing, but mentally, the challenge must be enormous. Yeah, and you know, part of your your preparation is to try to um, preempt some of those mental challenges and to have a toolbox or some strategies and techniques to go to in times of overwhelm, anxiety, fear. Um, so, you know, I spent a good 18 months to two years practicing techniques so that when I got out there, they were tried and tested. I trusted them completely because, you know, I'd spent two years sort of using them, utilizing them, and um, they, they really did pay off. I mentally, for this trip, I was far better equipped than when I did my um, my Atlantic row in 2018, which was, you know, the boat's maiden voyage. It was my maiden voyage. Uh, so by the time we got to the Pacific, I knew my weaknesses um, and I was able to sort of hone in on them and spend a, some really good, decent quality time in building that mental toolkit that I needed. What did you learn about yourself on this journey? Was there anything that that uh, you walked away with uh, feeling like a stronger individual? Uh, I know I'm stubborn, and I, you know I know that um, you can use that to your advantage, which I, I did. And also, I know that we are so much more capable than we think we are. So when you think there's nothing left in the tank, man, you've got like minimum 22 days left or you know so I sort of look at those struggle points and go well you know I continued on for another 22 days when I honestly thought this was my worst day ever you sort of look back on reflection and you go well wow don't we have a lot left in the tank so um and the fact that I made it you know to me I have not reached my potential there's still a um how much more I don't know but there's definitely more to tap into so, you know, I, I'm driven by, you know, tapping into your potential and, and what's left. And, you know, if you coped with that, you know, what else can you do? You know, yeah. sort of like you're sort of wondering while you're out there, when, especially as you get closer, you know, you're already already thinking, what am I going to do next? Like, you know, this is going to be over soon. So uh, what am I going to do? You know, you sort of think of life um, post event and you think, well, I know I cannot go back to Monday to Friday, nine to five, nor like that. <laughs> yeah. So you already start planning, you know, some kind of um, something that's sort of, you want to sink your teeth into something, you know, and it, it sort of keeps you disciplined. It keeps you um, out of mischief. <laughs> that's what I find anyway. Well, I, I've got half an idea of what you're planning next, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to, 240 days at sea, in and let's be honest, 7.7 meters is not that big, particularly the cabin space. And you had to provision for that. So, how first of all, how many days worth of provisions did you take with? Uh, I actually went out with 360, so I went out with a year's worth. And um, I, um, you know, some things I over provisioned on, and others I would grossly underestimated how many snacks and chocolate I would need. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little bit devastating on day, you know, 140, when you're like, this is the last Mars bar on board. And I'm like, you know, surely there's another hat dash somewhere. But no, there was not. So, yeah, provisioning was definitely a challenge. And um, all of my meals had to be purposely repackaged thanks to um, Campus Pantry that did all my dehydrated meals. So rather than doing one individual meal per packet, 
we were putting, you know, six and eight meals in one packet so that we could reduce the amount of packaging um, because it takes up a lot of space on board. It really yeah, does. Yeah, I could well um, imagine. And, I mean, what I saw from a photograph I, I saw, I saw baked beans, Mars bars and outdated coconut milk. So I'm thinking this lady's a cheap date. <laughs> like, well, obviously, the cuisine was better than that, yeah? Um, no, actually, they're, they're quite highlight moments. that <laughs> 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 coconut water, that was like, oh, how good is this? And then I looked at the date and it's like, yeah, it's past its UBD, but, hey, it was still so great. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Now, I, I have half an idea that you're planning to be involved in the City to Hobart this year. Where, where is that at? Yeah, so um, we just met last week, or I just met the crew last week down at the um, Keys Marina, and I'll be sailing on board the 47-foot um, Sydney. It's it's a Sydney, and it is uh, crewed by 12, so I've been lucky enough to be taken on board because I'm not a sailor, so I literally have to learn the ropes and, um, uh, you know, put in put in the hard yards I said to them you know I want to be a competent sailor when I'm finished this not just someone that's pulling on a rope because you've told me to grab that I actually want to know what I'm doing I want to know how to you know make this vessel move and um because you just don't know you know that opens other doors and also it gives me more opportunities I might want to sail across the uh Atlantic in one of the little 5.80s by Don McIntyre. <laughs> yeah. Little race across the Atlantic in these great little boats, little kit boats. So, you know, this is the thing, you know, one thing leads to another always. And um, I've been, like I said, lucky enough to be taken in by this experienced crew and, um, you know, I'll, I'll learn a lot from them. So I'm excited. Have you always had this adventurous spirit, Michelle? Oh, yeah, I would say I have. I just, my thing is I just say yes and then I think, oh, oh, dear, I have to work out the details now. How am I going to make that happen? So, you know, that's the thing. And, and the whole um, Monday to Friday, nine to five, I've lived it. I, I did, you know, corporate banking for 12 years and I realised one day I actually, if I really listened to my heart, I felt like a caged tiger and one yeah. day I just thought, you got to get out, man. You like you can rewrite the rules. You don't have to conform. You don't have to fall into line. You can go and make your own rules. Like step out of the queue, Michelle. Like one day I just listened to myself and I thought, right, it's time to get out of this queue and you go and do your own thing and you know, march to your own beat kind of thing. And that's the key, isn't it? If you, you can, you can not do it and have regret for the rest of your life, or you can do it potentially fail. But do it and at least say you gave it a go. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like don't be afraid of your fails. Your fails are your biggest learnings. And I look at mine in this, you know, all these things that I've done, and it's thanks to the fails that make you more bulletproof because you've got to go back to the drawing board and you've got to start again sometimes. And, like, oh, there's just so much value in that. you you got to look at them as a godsend because sometimes it's the fails in the prep phase that save your life. Now, after 240 days rowing across an ocean, it's still incredible to say it. It's such an inspiration. You really are. Now, I know you're a public speaker. We'll talk about that in a sec. But what I want to uh, what I want to know is you, you, how have you adapted to, to land life? I know that in all seriousness, once you got out of the boat, you really did struggle to walk up the up the wharf. 
<laughs> yeah, the, the struggle was real. You, um, it's quite crazy. Yeah, you think I've been on land for you know all my life, and then uh, all of a sudden land feels so foreign when you step on it after just 240 days. So it was. Um, uh, you know, you do feel quite unstable and you feel quite nauseous. I don't suffer with seasickness, but it was like I suffered with land sickness when I got off the boat and I just wanted to be on something that was rocking gently. You know? <laughs> but, and uh, I, sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, you know, it took me about four days to regain my stability. Now, I know you were craving, along the lines of your fantastic cuisine that you ate, you were craving pancakes when you got back. You must have gone absolutely mental with the food when you got back to shore. Oh, I've put on eight kilos. So I lost 19 kilos in my journey, and I have been home for seven weeks, and I've put on eight. (laughs) Now, I noticed the other day, I'm going to give away, because you do have a YouTube channel, so you're really easy to to stalk, I mean research. Um, you, You... Back into fitness again, obviously, because you, you've got the Sydney to Hobart uh, coming up and you're back into your fitness and you do look like the sort of person that can trim down very quickly. So how much physical work did you need to put in before you went on this uh, little paddle? Um, yeah, I had to change what I did um, and make it very event specific. So uh, we I spent a lot of time hanging, gripping, uh, a lot of time. Um, so my trainer who wrote the program for me he said just go and play in a hanging gym as as an adjunct to the program so he said get you know your extensors your forearms your grippers get them really used to being overloaded so that when you are grabbing the oars it's going to be nothing compared to hanging off your you know all your body weight off those little tendons and ligaments so I spent a lot of time hanging climbing which they've created another monster right there so (laughs) (laughs) and then you know I did a lot of strength work so um, you know with a barbell I spent a lot of time doing very slow controlled um, uh, you know weighted deadlifts and squats and uh, good mornings all that sort of stuff so it's sort of almost back to basic but um, very slow very controlled and you know, a lot of time under tension basically was um, in, in a little bit of power stuff. So it was a really good program because I never suffered with one soreness out there. I never woke up once going, oh, I feel like I've just rode a marathon yesterday. Or So I suffered with no DOMS, none of the, you know, usual delayed onset muscle soreness that you get when you've done something, you know, a bit unusual. And um, so, yeah, I my program was absolutely perfect. Just Are you planning, besides the Sydney to Hobart, is there something else on the horizon that you can talk about that you're planning? Um, oh, well, there's, there's little, a dozen whisper, things. <laughs> little whispers of, um, of the Indian Ocean. There's little whispers sort of uh, in my head. And because that would be quite nice, wouldn't it? You've got done the Atlantic, you've done the Pacific, and you just do the, uh, do the Indian and you've kind of, you know. Done the world. So um, there, the, that, there's a little whisper in my head going on there. And then um, there's a lot of hiking that I, I really, really want to do. You know, the Santiago de Camino, my friend is over there doing it now. I should be with her. But honestly, my body was not ready. As soon as I came back, she was leaving in three weeks to do um, a thousand kilometre trek where she's doing 25 and 30 Ks per day for 30 days. And um, my body just was not ready for that. So I had to, um, you know, massive FOMO say, no, I can't get there. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, I've got lots of hiking um, stuff 
on my mind and um, it's another passion. So, and now my friend is also getting me outdoor climbing. So we're looking at, you know, sort of outdoor rock faces and stuff like that. They will be unstoppable. I'm thinking you might end up back at the bank, but not as a clerk uh, doing public speaking because you're doing that at the moment. If somebody's interested in booking you for a, obviously what would be a, a very easy motivational uh, seminar, can, is there somewhere they can contact you, Michelle? Uh, yes, and for really quick professional responses, please go to Encore Speakers. Go to uh, my agent, Michael. He responds way quicker than I ever would. So, um, yeah, if they go to Encore Speakers, uh, Michael Arnott, he will um, be in touch with them as quickly as possible. Look, I, I know I've had a little bit of fun with this interview, but at the end of the day, what, what you've done is absolutely extraordinary and inspirational. Do you feel like a role model? Have, have people come up to you since this has been done? And because this one got a this one got a lot of publicity here in Australia. Have people come up and and suggested that 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 you've become a bit of a role model to them? Um, look, I've had some beautiful emails and you know people reaching out. Uh, just saying to me, you know, thanks to you, I've now gone and got myself the van and I'm going to go and travel around Australia. Thanks to you, I'm 60 years old and I've learnt to swim. I've finally just thought I'm going to do it. So you get beautiful emails, you know, and another um, father wrote me an email saying, wow, my 16-year-old has been unreachable. We haven't been able to connect with her for the last couple of years she's heard your story and this is from the US so this little this young lady's in the US and the father wrote to me to say um thanks to your story she has just come alive he said she's just like come out of a shell and we've got her back so you know those stories are I can't even explain um how how good they make you feel and and you think wow you're impacting people um in uh, in ways that you could never imagine and, you know, around the globe. So, um, yeah, there's a bit of a responsibility with that, I think. You know, I've got to share my story. I've got to share, you know, how I overcame, you know, anxiety and um, the senses of overwhelm and sometimes despair because they're huge in, in our communities right now. They're huge in schools. You know, all my friends have children in the um, teenage years and, the amount of struggle with mental health right now from, you know, just what I'm hearing in my very small circle is huge. So I think my story can help um, people to, you know, develop the toolbox, you know, become a little bit more proactive to know that there is help, to know that we are empowered. We, we have everything we need. We just sometimes need to know how, you know, yeah build the toolbox. Michelle, we're completely out of time, as as I was going to expect coming into this interview, because you're you're a fascinating person. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And we'll try and catch up with you before the Sydney to Hobart to find out how things are going there. But on today, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it here on High Tide. Pleasure. Thanks, Grant. We'll take a quick commercial break and we'll be back with Paul Burt on the other side of this.